You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, this is David's pick, and we have a very special guest, as we always do. And uh, courtesy of Rick White at uh, the... Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame, and uh, Rick has become a very good friend, and uh, we have Mr. Bill Howell here today with us, and he's going to be talking about his service, but before we get started, we're going to do what we've done the past couple of weeks, and that's just take one moment of silence to honor our veteran brothers and sisters that... uh, Need a moment of prayer or need a moment of thoughtfulness from all of us. All, all are brothers and sisters that have served. And, uh, we just take a brief moment to uh, think about our veterans that need help. And whether you're a veteran or you've got a friend that's a veteran and needs a moment of silence, uh, we're here for you. And, uh, if you've got somebody you'd like to dedicate a show to, Uh, Just drop me an email, David, at America's Web Radio, and we'll be glad to uh, take a look at uh, who you want us to dedicate a show to and give us some of their background and what they did in the military, uh, past, present, and uh, we even encourage our young folks to look at the military for a career. So with that being said, let's just take a quick moment to think about how grateful we are to have the best veterans in the world and what they have done for us in the past. Okay, we've got the camera on Bill, and uh, we're glad to have him here. And uh, oh, okay, oh, thanks. Uh, we're Bill. Welcome to America's Web Radio. Thank you, David. Pleasure and to be here. We uh, we look forward to hearing your story and what uh, what you were involved with during Vietnam, and uh, it's sort of a different side of things that a lot of folks don't realize. You know, as I was going through um, basic and AIT out in Fort Ord, California, which is a it was a beautiful, beautiful place to take a, a six month vacation, <laughs> uh, but you know it. Uh, it they kept telling us that, uh, you know, for every one in country, there were five behind that person in country supporting him in one shape, form, or fashion. And I never considered myself uh, that active, but I guess uh, I was in the reserves and uh, served in um, uh, light arm. Well, I was light arms infantry, mechanized infantry out in. Uh, in Texas, and uh, then I moved to Atlanta and uh, joined. Uh, and and it's it's my kind of thing. I joined, and and then they were dissolved. But it was a civil affairs unit, Army. I went from National Guard to Army, and uh, talking about people scratching their head in the civil affairs unit they were like everybody else they'd take you if you were walking and breathing but they didn't know what to do with uh, 11 bravos so there i stood with my uh my hair long and uh my fingernails short and uh you know they we we finally figured out that because i could type and that that's the best mm-hmm. thing I ever did in my mm-hmm. life was learn how to type. And I learned on an old manual, so an electric was like uh, 
like a toy almost and uh i could i could type and so they had all sorts of jobs for me as a company clerk as it wound up but anyway uh, I did not serve in Vietnam, and like I've said many times recently, they have they have changed it, and they, they call it the Vietnam era, and I spell it E R R O R, and they spell it E R A. So there there is a question of spelling, but uh, I, I'm thankful for my service, and I'm thankful for that I got through it, and it was it was I met so many nice people, and until recently. There was uh, there was sort of a, a negativity to have been, uh, being in the reserves and so forth, but but now uh, ARs and NGs that did serve uh, are accepting everybody, and uh, I know you're quite active in the uh, Johns Creek Veterans Association, mm-hmm. and uh, Mike Mazel is the uh, mm-hmm. president of the organization, and uh, tell us what johns creek has done that puts them on the map the, you, you're talking about johns creek veterans association jcva is it called yeah um before i start david i just like to dedicate this program to our treasurer johns creek veterans association his name is rick beggs of course a veteran he's now in Northside hospital and he's uh, being treated um for probably four weeks hmm. as he estimates and our prayers go out to Rick Beggs, especially with John's Creek veterans, and all everybody, for he, both him and his wife Kathy. So I dedicate this program to Rick Beggs. Certainly, and uh, we're glad to know that, and we'll, our thoughts and prayers will be with him. And great. Uh, just a, uh, I had done this for uh, my friend J. Roy that mm-hmm. was having a surgery a couple of weeks ago, and I'm glad to report that <laughs> tough old. Texan uh, came through the surgery way better than they expected, and um, he had had a, a goodly portion of his tongue removed. And they were, and then they had reconstruction surgery, and they expected him to be in uh, rehab for many weeks and or many months to learn how to talk again, but. You know, he's a good whiskey drinker, and you're not going to slow him down too much. And so uh, they they didn't cut the top, tip of his tongue off, and he's already beginning to speak. And Great. I'm very Great. thankful, and uh, Jay Roy is a good friend of mine, and uh, we're blessed that he's still with us. And Agent Orange didn't get him like it's gotten a lot of folks. Yep. And uh, it was bad stuff. Oh, and I want to put a plug in, too. I, I, I don't generally get this political – but the fact of the matter is, I can't help but be political today, and we've, en- we've endorsed President Trump since the get-go, and uh, since, he, since he ran the first time, and now he's running again. And for you folks that don't understand this or don't realize, uh, this deal of him saying something bad about the military is baloney, absolute baloney. And... Uh, he is he has supported the military. I was in Hawaii and almost broke down crying. Uh, my son was stationed there for a while, and they took me out on the tarmac and there were beautiful jets fighters lined up in a row that were being cannibalized. This was during the Biden Obama administration when they gutted our military and they were to keep to stay in the air they were having to cannibalize 
and get parts for enough planes to stay in the air and it was just heart rendering to to see this and um as soon as trump came in he turned it around he loves the military he certainly doesn't hate it and one of the biggest accomplishments and i know bill you can appreciate this as well was the signing of the blue water bill Mm -hmm. Uh, oh yeah and that's where the Navy and Coast Guard, they were in Vietnam and got sprayed by Agent yep. Orange. Yep. They had been denied their rights. Right. And uh, as soon as Trump gets into office, he signs the Blue Water Bill, giving the naval personnel mm-hmm. and the Coast Guard personnel the same rights and privileges that uh, men in country, the Army and Marines and everybody else had got hit by Agent Orange, it gave the Navy and Coast Guard the same rights, mm-hmm. which they certainly deserved. They got... <laughs> Agent Orange didn't discriminate whether you were on a boat and on shore or next to the shore or inland. And, uh, you know, folks, we've got a good, in my opinion, we've got a good president and we need to keep him. We can't afford something like Biden coming in and gutting our military again we're on we're on too slippery a slope mm-hmm. to uh chance anything like that so keep that in mind and keep keep in mind where you get this information and the source that it comes from like that uh trump doesn't like the military because he does anyway with that being said we didn't we didn't bring bill in here to talk about uh politics today but um Sometimes you have to say what you got to say, you know. And uh, again, Bill, welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, we're going to talk about your service during Vietnam and the your part and your role in the Johns Creek Veterans Association okay. and uh, in uh, also the uh, Georgia Military Veterans Association, <laughs> Georgia Military <laughs> Veterans Hall of Fame. I knew I could get it out. Well, it's just fixed. a matter of getting it out. It, I get messed up every day, time well, I wash my hair, you know. A lot of acronyms. Yeah. But uh, so tell us about you went to Cornell. Yes, Cornell ROTC program. That's where I got my commission in 1969. And that was uh, still in the heat of the battle. Oh, very much so. All of our cadre. cadre um, we're Vietnam veterans. Again, this is 1969. And uh, again, initially in 65, we had no Vietnam experience in our cadre, our teaching professors of military history. And by 1967 and 8, and by, definitely by 1969, we had the, the key experience of having veterans, Vietnam veterans, talk to us. Made a whole big difference about our outlook about the war and how to prepare for it. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, it was like uh, we had never, and even in uh, Korea, it wasn't, uh, mm-hmm. it wasn't a jungle situation, mm-hmm. and we were totally unprepared. Just, you totally. know, and what's funny is um, uh, General Richard Dix uh, mm-hmm. is a good friend of mine Mine's and uh, yep. has been on many times. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was just the opposite of Vietnam, and we weren't prepared for the right. desert. That's right. And we, we were sending green tanks over, and I happened to go to Stewart, Fort Stewart. Um, green tanks. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were spraying everything in sight, yeah. going from from green tanks and green APCs to 
Sandy Brown uh, Desert, Desert. Uh, route. So, you know, and this is, you wonder, I love the military, and I love, and my son's in Intel, and you wonder how mm-hmm. could you, and, and you know, the, the line was, well, we were preparing for war in Europe, so we had green, everything was green. Well, yeah, but, I mean, hello, the sand in the desert's a little bit different, and how how well does green stand out in the desert? And they found out. And the same way when we went into to Nam, yeah, we yeah. were totally unprepared for jungle warfare. And um, I guess I guess between Polk and uh, Fort Ord, where I went, uh, they were probably the only two bases or forts that um, had somewhat similar. Mm-hmm. You got some somewhat, kind somewhat. of training with it, but uh, you know one of the, one of the, and I have to laugh, and it's and it, you know, uh, it's sort of sort of like uh, we won in spite of ourselves, <laughs> and uh, and same way with World War Two. Uh, one of the great historians said that uh, you know the Germans didn't stand a chance because we didn't do anything like they figured we would. And uh, so we've we've uh, fought a lot of battles like that. But going into Nam with the with the open end of the M16 as the flash suppressor, and it was getting hung up on bushes yep. and everything yep. else. It's terrible, and, uh, it was. So let's go to let's talk about Bill. What what were you doing besides getting becoming an officer? And I guess I should be standing as I speak to you, but baloney. <laughs> Anyway, so what did you do? And well, okay, you graduate from yes, uh, Cornell. Uh, got my commission. Got spent, your commission. Spent one year postgraduate work at Cornell and entered the army in June 1970 in Fort Benning, hmm. where we needed we again we had six weeks of basic officer infantry training, hmm. and then you went to your permanent assignment, which is Fort Campbell, Kentucky. As a training officer, like we all all were, I went through a class of Fort Benning of probably 120 officers, all fresh college graduates, and some got the assignment of Fort Ord, which I hated those people, <laughs> like you, and I wound up in the middle of nowhere, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Yeah, Fort Ord was, was great. Yep. Um, and Carmel and uh, Monterey were pretty nice, too. Oh, how nice. Yeah. Tell me all about it. Uh, well, I tell you what, Carmel had an attitude. Oh, Monterey yeah. didn't, oh, but Carmel oh, yeah, did. Carmel did. And... Uh, a good friend and I, uh, and we're still best friends, as a matter of fact, met in in, uh, in Fort Ord, and he had gone to uh, Texas Tech like mm-hmm. I did, and uh, we made reservations on, we had a weekend coming up, and made reservations in Carmel, mm-hmm. and... Um, Got to uh, got to our motel room, and the guy wouldn't let us. He wouldn't honor our reservations because of our haircuts. Oh, and yeah, you might say I blew up. You did, yeah. But they wouldn't honor our reservations because we were military, and uh, you know I, I couldn't believe it. Amazing, but, amazing. That was that was in uh, that would have been in uh, sixty what uh, se- no nineteen seventy seventy yeah uh-huh. huh? and yeah. Uh, I just uh, I mean and that's you know it it was 
not a nice scene. <laughs> I, I'm glad I didn't get to see the inside of a uh, of a wall. Yeah, you know, local, local jail. Yes, mm-hmm. but I, I couldn't believe that they they would have that kind of attitude. Amazing. And as you know, all I could tell was my money was green and. Uh-huh. What? Well, today they do Carmel's one of the richest per capita cities, towns in the country. Mm-hmm. But such is life. So let's get back to so Bill. So back to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. I, I signed up for a six-year obligation as a reserve officer. So I had two years of active duty, two years of standby or ready reserve, and two years of standby reserve. So I entered in 70, so I got it in 75. And for the first two years as Fort Campbell, Kentucky, as a training officer, and as they promised me, as I trained six years for I did nothing but prepare for Vietnam all through ROTC postgraduate year in my first year at Fort Campbell Kentucky I interviewed everybody I could who talked to me about the Vietnam War because the stuff they taught us again was old school I mean I swear in my first three years of ROTC they were teaching us conventional warfare only in my last year did we have some veterans returnees that could talk about the war in the tactics that were used, ones that were successful or, in many cases, totally unsuccessful. And, again, so that's one year of training, Vietnam, of, of the four years. So in my postgraduate work, I volunteered in audited courses in their ROTC program as I was taking uh, postgraduate classes and working for Cornell. And so on, in the next year, at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, they promised us one thing. They promised me, you would get to Vietnam, because that's all I wanted to do. And lo and behold, in April 1971, I finally got my orders to Vietnam. And at that point, they gave us a two-week leave. Again, all these reserve officers. And I got in my two-week leave, and we got married to my fiance. had a nice honeymoon in Bermuda, and returned to Fort Campbell, Kentucky, to prepare to be bused to Charleston, South Carolina, to be flown to Fort Sherman in the Panama Canal Zone for two weeks of jungle training, real jungle training, in June. Ten days before June 12th, our orders were canceled because of the troop cutbacks in the active peace talk negotiations. They pulled back the reserve officers and only gave the regular army officers, who were green, no experience in Vietnam. They gave those guys with a four-year active duty obligation or career, like many West supporters I served with, they gave them the opportunity to go to Vietnam. So my, after six years of training for the Vietnam, my orders were canceled. I spent the next year doing some advanced work at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And uh, again, I had enough of training, uh, training the basic trainees, and they gave me the special assignment of processing back the entire 173rd Airborne Brigade which is Rick White's unit, hmm. one of many time guests of your show. And I've told this story to Rick, and I finally discovered last night my document that I haven't read in 49 years hmm. uh, about my service processing back the entire 173rd Airborne Brigade. And I've never read this in 49 years. I, I didn't know I even had it. And I only have one copy, so I made a copy for the show. And it's the proudest moment of my military history. Uh, again, four years of ROTC, postgraduate work. Now, was, six uh, would, that have been in your, uh, would that have been on your 201? Yes. It's dated September 9th, 1971. It talks about my experience 
um, processing back the entire 173rd Airborne Brigade, right from the fields of Vietnam. Um, just before I read it, because I haven't read it in 49 years, um, I was given the assignment, I, I, I was assigned to take over the main hangar at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, a huge hangar. You could put a couple of cargo, cargo airships inside. And they gave me a squad, and they gave me medical people, screening people, a psychologist, and military policemen, of course, and some military dogs. Hmm. And I was in charge. They gave me this raw second lieutenant, the responsibility of processing back 3,200 troops from the 173rd Airborne Brigade, wow. known as the Thundering Herd. Right, Rick White? <laughs> and the Thundering Herd were a nasty-looking bunch of people when they hopped off that plane. Um, before I read this, my only clear memory was a soldier getting off that plane. The moment he hopped down those steps, he kissed the ground. He was uh, the only guy who saw this. He did a push-up, kissed the ground, did another push-up, and walked up to me and goes... He looked at me with my gold bar, second lieutenant. This guy was had still had mud in his boots, right from the field. He looked at me and goes, <clears throat> left-handed salute. And he goes, which way to the phones? I said, there's a bank of phones. I've set up all for you guys because that's all you want to do is call your loved ones the moment you get off the, the, the uh, cargo plane. He said to me, get out of my way. I'm coming through. <laughs> And I better believe I hopped the. And then he said to me over his shoulder, What are those dogs for? I said, Because um, I, I knew what he was after. And I said, um, Those are screening dogs. That's all I was taught to say. Because the MPs were right there. He said, Get those MF dogs and MF policemen out of my sight. And I said, okay, go to the phones. I'll do what I can. And then we had a long talk with the head of the military police unit and said, these guys are out of the field. They've flown for 18 hours. And all they want to do is be in contact with their loved ones. Who are we to screen these people for drugs? Because they've already been screened as they exited Vietnam. And that's how we're going to welcome them to back to the States by busting them for marijuana that they had in their pockets. And I convinced the military police unit to dismiss the unit. And for the next six weeks, I never saw, which was the term of my, the, the processing operation, I never saw a military policeman. That's great. That's great. You know, and you would have thought that we would have welcomed with open arms yes. our veterans coming back. But that was not the attitude. No. Unfortunately, we have some of that attitude today. Oh, yeah. And, uh, and it's wrong. It uh, you know, I look at the people that that are doing the problems today, and the folks that were involved in the problems of the of the late '60s and early '70s. And I look at the the ones that did serve. We all raised our hand. We all took the same oath. And even though my service was basically basic and AIT infantry but you know the the thing is you can't go through that and not learn discipline 
And uh, I even today, I don't have flashbacks. I just, every now and then it'll hit me that, uh, you know, when I was going through AIT and stuff, you'd say, why in the world are we doing this? But the Army, the Navy, the Marines, all of them, there's a reason for everything oh, you oh, do. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's, and it's a lot of it's discipline and a lot of it's, you know, over 200 years of shaping and forming the military, they know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. And uh, they know the psychology of it. And although we weren't in many ways trained to go into Vietnam or trained to go into the Middle East, uh, from a from an area type standpoint, but from a troop standpoint, we were able to adapt quickly, and that's mm-hmm. what discipline mm-hmm. and what what the military trains. And yep. if these guys that are doing this Molotov cocktail crap in oh. Portland and all oh. of this stuff, you jerk oh, them up and put them into the military, yes, and you'd have men that were good men coming out, mm-hmm. not crap like you got in portland and seattle and around the country now and uh you know the military is as i say every week the largest fraternity and sorority in the world and uh everybody comes out a brother and a brother and a sister out of the military oh yeah and uh, true it's uh it's a and i encourage parents that are listening grandparents kids just uh, recent graduates look at some branch of the military for a career it's a great my son's doing fantastic Mm -hmm. he loves it and uh you know he uh it's just been very good for him and and he's been a good kid all i never there we never had a disciplinary problem with him but uh at all and uh and now he's just that much more of a man yep very true so, with that being said, we, we sort of take a break, but we do live breaks during this show, and, and it is that, uh, I tell you what, I'm going to put you on the spot, Bill. <laughs> do a sales pitch for J.C. Veterans Association. Well, that was your first question before I interrupted you and said, uh, this program is dedicated to Rick Beggs. And so, back to your first question was, what does John's Creek Veterans Association do for John's Creek? And um, basically... I can give you my top two reasons. I'm sure Mike Mizell and all the, all the other board of directors have their own reasons or a list. But my two favorite um, things that they do, they provide an organization, a friendly social organization for all veterans. All branches, all experiences, everybody's welcome. Well, that's, that's true purely, because they let a guy in called Submarine Mike. Oh, my and, gosh. Uh, <laughs> so, crazy, crazy Mike? They'll, they'll accept anybody. Uh-huh. Well, Mike was the guest last week, and I listened to his program twice on your show, and he is delightful, and he's amusing, and he's also very informative to a limit because he can't talk about speed and, and depth. There you go, Mike, because well, I'm sure Mike's watching. So um, <laughs> where were we? Oh, John's great. Yeah. So the social organization aspect is number one. Um, it's our meetings, our events, our dinner meetings once a month, our luncheons once a month are purely social. It gives these guys a chance to bond, tell their stories, and we're all good listeners. Well, wait a second. There's one question that I ask every veteran guest that I have here. Mm. 
Have you ever met or do you know a veteran that can only tell one story? Oh, many. The problem is, no, 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 no. You didn't understand what I said. They don't tell enough stories. No, I. What I said is, have you ever met one that can only tell one story? Absolutely, tons. One. I'm telling you the truth. That's my truth. I'm I'm talking about Vietnam War. I'm I'm talking about a veteran across the board. I have never met a veteran that can just tell you one story. Maybe a hundred stories. I disagree. But my problem is in my. 50 years since Vietnam, my active duty service, I cannot get people to talk about Vietnam and their experiences enough, including my three favorite people. My cousin, who served three terms in the fast boat in Mekong. Mekong Two Delta. rotations. Yeah, pardon me, Mekong. Delta. Yeah, the Mekong Delta. And uh, Mekong River. He actually went up river. My cousin, who served two tours in Viet- as a Marine up north. And uh, my brother, best man brother, who served three tours on an aircraft carrier, supporting F-4s, F-105s, thuds over Vietnam. And none of these people, 50 years later, will talk about their experiences. Hmm. So my mission before I go is to, and again, I've got a good head start with all three of them. I've made the dent to get them to document and either at least tape their stories, write them down, anything. Send me an email because I'm not gathering material for each one of them so I can put them in. I have files so that when they go, their families, their descendants, their heirs will have, will have some idea what they did in Vietnam. Well, now, and that's uh, my problem. Dave, I can't get people to talk about Vietnam. It's rare I can get anybody to talk even two stories about combat in the experience of Vietnam. Well, when Besides I, the fluffy stories. When I say... Uh, I'm talking about real stories, not the fluff stories. About, well, oh, I got drunk, and here's what I did in R&R. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's mainly uh, what I was talking about, is that uh, it's like Submarine Mike has uh, many stories oh, that he yes. can talk about. That's what and, I love. Being, and it's not, necessarily, exactly. it's not necessarily about what he did during Vietnam. It's just, you know... I have my stories of uh-huh. AIT and, oh, me too. and uh, oh, yes. you know and and most vets once they and I and the meeting that I went to at Johns Creek uh sitting at a table with submarine Mike and some others uh we were kidding about uh, you know the the everyone had a story at least one and uh, most of but them had hundreds of stories well they do inside but they don't document it for their heirs yeah, There's no I, record. That That's I the problem, Dave. They have no record. They have no documentation. Yeah. Well, so I, as a historian, which I am, um, I'm all over these my three, my brother and my cousins to document the stories because they served way above board in the Vietnam War. So that's the problem, getting, getting them out and getting to document it. And the problem is these guys are all in their 70s, like we are, and we're not guaranteed of having clear memories 10 years from now, are we, Dave? Well, you know, it's uh, my father was a naval commander in Intel, and uh, he wouldn't talk about his service per se. But That's right. He had a few stories and uh, incidents yep. that happened, and yep. and friends of his, and even after many years after, we would uh, we'd always take a, a long vacation, and many of those times were going back and meeting uh, his friends that Great. he had made in the Navy, you know. Great. And uh, yep. we, uh, particularly uh, coming from Texas, and we'd go up north into uh, 
northeast part of the United States, and uh, many of his That's friends country, had Dave. retired. That's my country. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, uh, so, so. B- back to the social aspect about stories. Um, the, the best thing that John Street offers, in my opinion, again, top two reasons. Number one is the social organization where you have, a, a, again, people don't tell the stories because they don't detect that they're going to be received well. You have to have a receptive audience to tell a story. And that's what John Street Veterans Association does. We provide a receptive audience for people to tell their stories because we like to hear them. Well, it's a very good organization. Oh, it's and, Anybody that's out there that um, had a relative or had a friend that served in Vietnam that uh, uh, was KIA, you can. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is oh, yeah. the wall that traveled all over the United States. It's a fifty percent replica of the the wall in Washington D.C. It traveled all over the United States, and now it's come to rest in its permanent home in Johns Creek in Newtown Park. And you're invited anytime to. Uh, come out and they're going to be putting up a kiosk very shortly that you'll be able to on a computer find your relative or friend and find out where you go to uh, or where their lo- where their name is located on the wall and uh, we'll be adding something to it uh, because of my feelings towards the women that haven't gotten credit for serving in Vietnam and uh, we'll be putting up a, a plaque to them shortly and uh, then there's always uh, uh, Peachtree Corners that has yes. a uh, very nice memorial. And always we want to keep in mind that uh, you can go downtown. Right across the street from the Capitol is the Floyd Building, mm-hmm. and it's the home of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And you can see the stories of some of the mm-hmm. greatest Georgians that oh, uh, yes. ever lived. And uh, how proud we can be as Georgians to have so many heroes that did so much for our country and, you know, gave of themselves one way or the other, whether they died in action or just the service that they've rendered Mm -hmm. to uh, our country. And as veterans or whatever the situation might be, they they are there for you to take a look at and read about and it's a great place to take your, I'd say, a little bit older kids, yes. uh, you know, yep. uh, 12, 13, 14 years mm-hmm. old, where they can really understand and read the read the information about the different heroes. And um, it's a great day to spend in Atlanta, Georgia, down at the Georgia Military Veterans yes, Hall sir. of Fame. Yep. So, back to uh, our guest, Bill Howell. And... Uh, Okay, so you you welcomed everybody back in the 173. I sure did. I mean, uh, that's one thing these guys really needed. Somebody act at least acted like they cared about their arrival, and that's what I trained these guys in my squad to do. And believe me, I I handpicked at this. So they, they allowed me to handpick my team, and every one of these people were caring individuals, and they they really were sensitive to the fact that these guys had just returned out of the jungles. They still had the mud in their boots. They were tired. They looked like crap. They hadn't, some hadn't shaved because they were yanked right out of the field. Get on the plane. You're going back home. And there they arrived at Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So we gave them a lot of support. Some people, again, there wasn't all peaches and fruit. Some of these guys in the phone banks were unable to contact their loved ones, to come get them. 
They didn't have cars waiting for the, you know, there was no cars in the parking lot. They were hoping that somebody, their loved ones nearest, next to Ken, could come and pick them up at Fort Campbell, Kentucky, because they were all over the eastern side of the United States. And some people were, some soldiers could not get a hold of anyone. Mm. And I had to babysit these guys, make sure they're fed, cleaned up, and given a, a, appropriate lodging in our base. We gave them the best lodging. It was meant for upper um, it was met, met for NCOs and you know, our top sergeants. We gave those grunts um, the best of care. And it was a sad thing that, like, one soldier uh, got his girlfriend and he found out he didn't have a girlfriend anymore. So he called his mother, and his mother said, uh, I, We have one car between dad and her, had one car, and they, they both had jobs. They need that one car to work. So I said, time to pass the hat, which I did among the squad, and get this guy a bus ticket back to Connecticut. And that's what the kind of care we gave them. But uh, it was a rough bunch. They'd been through hell. And a lot of them were, were the ones that we didn't see were dead or in hospitals wounded. We only saw the ones, the survivors. And I, I appreciate the fact that, you know, they all had guilt, the fact that, all of a sudden, they're home, and a lot. Of, they knew all the soldiers that were still in Vietnam. All two hundred thousand, you know, thousand, two hundred thousand, and a lot of people had that guilt because I'm here, I'm alive, my duty's done, I'm going home, and their buddies are still back there. Yeah, you know, this it's is tough. This is something that uh, we brought up before. Is that I guess Vietnam, particularly when the guys were coming home and stuff, we we realize. I think a lot of us had in mind, uh, and I and I, I don't want to be misquoted or, or this be taken out of context, but in many ways, World War Two and even Korea were quote unquote clean wars. You know, you didn't have people. Uh, setting booby traps for you every time you turned around you you there's the enemy over there and they're the ones in the purple hats or whatever you know and i and no war is clean but we had this you know this thing ever since the revolutionary war that you know you stand up in your platoon or whatever company and you fire shot then they fire shot you fire shot and it was like and you knew your enemy and you knew where they were Vietnam, we had never, ever been in a situation like Vietnam that you reach down to pick up a can and it blows up in your hand. You reach down to, or you step on a wire and you have uh, punchy sticks coming through you. Uh, And it was just, it was the dirtiest, nastiest war that that we ever been in. A colonel told me he'd been been to Vietnam three times. He said, the vast majority of our military efforts in Vietnam, all from 65 to 73, were met trying to find the enemy. Mm-hmm. And then and we we're end. so desperate to find the enemy, we used these guys is to, we made these guys walk point. You know how many people survive walking point? Hmm. Not many. Uh, that's how desperate we were to find the enemy. That's, that's what kind of war it was. Yeah, and... Uh, 
It was it was just and and the stories and we've always had quote end quote PTSD. Some called it oh, shell, yeah. shock, shell shock, some did some different terms. War, war but, fatigue, battle fatigue. Yeah, but PTSD coming back from Vietnam, and I still have friends that suffer from PTSD oh, yeah. that uh, they saw. You know, again. War is hell. There's no pretty side of war mm-hmm. under any circumstance. Yep. But in uh, World War II and even in the Korean War, we didn't have the nastiness of the Vietnamese were brutally nasty. Brutal. brutal. And, uh, you, you know, I... How do you? How does somebody tell you that he found his best friend in the platoon that had been, you know, just literally skinned? And uh, you know, and you just—I mean, there was story after story after story after uh, about the brutality of the Vietnamese, and even mm-hmm. the—you know—and we've had a number of POWs that uh, the nastiness of. Yeah. You know, and you you can't. How can't can how can humanity stoop that low to do those kind of things? And uh, you know, there many of the booby traps that the Vietnamese designed were meant not to kill, right. but to injure, because they knew if a person was injured or he had just had his genitals blown off, that we were going to take care of him, and it cost yep. more to take care of them than it did to kill them yep. and if if uh and I, oh this is something else that I always do on this program is that I think the bravest of the brave were the dust off pots oh absolutely and uh, the nurses that would oh. also jump on the uh dust offs to go and uh, and pick up the wounded and bring them back and give them care you talk about and, real uh, heroes Dave you talk about real heroes the dust off dust pilots. off pilots. Yep, and, unbelievable. Uh, they uh, and I and I've mentioned this many times as well. Uh, is that I had a real thing about the the guys and the women that would claim uh, um, that they wouldn't go uh, the they wouldn't carry a weapon, and uh, the ones that. Uh, uh, I've lost my train of thought. Hmm, uh, uh, that would go, but wouldn't wouldn't carry a weapon, and uh, they turned out being medics. Yes, and there uh, plenty of medics. Uh, they were CEOs. they were oh yeah conscientious objectors, yep, and they were and, very brave, uh, and they were very very brave. Very brave yes, yep. without a doubt. And yep. I have uh, I begged forgiveness of what I thought of them at the time. Mm-hmm, me too. And uh, yep. yet they turned out to be the, the heroes of, of many, many yeah, battles. I had one CEO on my unit, and believe me, he came back a war hero. I can believe Wounded it. Wounded many times, dragging bodies back from the front line, as it were. Amazing. What they yeah. did. So, but those dust-off pilots were an amazing bunch of guys. That's... Um, you know that's that's what this whole show is about. Yeah, is honoring it, it is honoring our vets and well, that's uh, why I'm on. Not the, to honor me or my military service, to talk about what what the guys were like in Vietnam. I hope I I've given some people some additional flavor of what these guys were like because oh. I interviewed everybody I could talk, talk to, hundreds, and I I, I I I took copious notes about their experiences. 
because I knew they would never write him down or document him. So I, I had a scratch pad at all times with me. Name, experiences, what they did, where they were, because I knew they would never share those stories with their loved ones. And just like my three favorite people, my best man brother, my two cousins who did multiple tours, they still don't talk about it. Well, we ought to have them on. I'll get them to talk about it. <laughs> I hope you did, because I'm, I'm making no. partial luck. I keep convincing them that every birthday, every, every time their birthday happens, I bug them and says, this, this is the year that you're going to document your experiences, because you're getting old, and you're getting forgetful. Well, you know, it's... Uh in some ways, that uh, maybe you ought to leave them alone, and that that's their their way of healing well, from I, it. We eventually, you have to. Uh, yep. You well, know, that's why they, they're, they're talking about the healing process. That's what we call the wall in Newtown Park in Johns Creek. The wall that heals. That's the name of the wall. It's no longer called the Vietnam, the miniature Vietnam Wall, or the traveling wall. It's the wall that heals. And how does it work? Well, when I walk to my best friend, and I see his name, Joe Gambino. Um, that heals because he died on his birthday in 1973 in an airplane over Cambodia. So I dedicate this program, the Vietnam Stories, to Joe Gambino and uh, my best friend here. You know, I, uh, I'm i going to bring up a very touchy subject right now, and um, I wonder when and how and if anything will ever really be brought out about this but Vietnam was one of the first wars or police actions whatever you want to call it but wars war. that uh, started a trend that is really in many ways our military today and that's contract labor Yep. and uh, a lot of folks don't realize that uh, that is what in many cases, has fought and saved us in uh, the Middle East is contract oh, labor. Yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, they're oh, yeah. not recognized. They're, yep. they're in fact yep. they are in many ca- and many of the contract labor are veterans of some war or the uh-huh. other, yep. and um, they've volunteered and and they make a good living at it. Oh, yes, yeah. paid well, but to provide security, engineering, etc. Supply chain services. I do wonder if mm-hmm. they will ever be recognized as our, you know, just like just like submarine Mike calls the silent, silent. Uh, uh, well, the mariners, uh, the submariners that were the silent warriors, but we also have a, a and and it's an aerial, but our contract labor can do some things that oh, yeah. our military oh, can't yeah. do because of people like Pelosi that have rules of engagement. They don't know what the hell they're talking about. You know, somebody pulls a gun on me and I've got a gun, I'm going to shoot. And uh, do it until we find out whether they're the enemy or not. <laughs> Check their press passes. But, you know, I I want to reach out to the contractor folks and say thank you. And uh, the contract layer, we've had oh, yeah. some oh, yeah. folks on that uh-huh. were from Blackwater, and, yep. and um, you know, we as a country have to stand up and take a position. And uh, my position is, at some point down the road, I hope that the contract labor folks 
are recognized for what they've contributed to our country. Uh, and it's not to belittle. It's, I'm not mm-hmm. belittling our right. military not, by any means. Know. But, you know, I learned a long time ago, particularly at my size, that you don't go with your hands tied behind your back. And uh, that's what our Congress and uh, our previous presidents have done. And that's that's not right. And uh, because of that, we've had to turn to and look at contract labor. Yep. And uh, a lot of folks, a lot of folks don't know that and don't no, appreciate yep, it. Nope. But you know, you do what you got to do. Good point. And uh, I respect our president, and uh, that has called up and uh, and taken the lead where he should be mm-hmm. and uh, when he's had to he's called in the contract oh, yeah. folks yes he has and uh, and uh, interestingly enough and i didn't know this i thought it was basically all ground pounders but it's no. not no uh no. the contract can be the engine so the civil engineering is incredible I, I know two yep. civil engineers have served in saudi arabia and middle east paid well and shot at threat but don't call them veterans and don't call them heroes but they are. So, you know, it's uh, there's nothing, like I said to begin with, there's nothing nice about war. And uh, there, there never will be. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think the, the person that said war is hell and obviously had been there and done that. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, I, uh, I respect them all respect oh yeah everyone that's uh sworn to uphill uphold our constitution mm-hmm. and uh um so what else do we need to cover right quick we got about eight minutes to go well, well i told you my main reasons why i love john street veterans association is number one uh it's a receptive social group that people can tell stories that they can't tell or don't feel comfortable with talking to family friends, wives, etc. And that provides a nice platform for people who can finally talk and appreciate their stories. Number two, the thing I love about John's Creek Veterans Association is we commemorate all patriotic days, military history days, and historic days in this country. And we commemorate them in ceremonies, speakers, wreaths, etc., as formal as we can get at our monuments in John's Creek Newtown Park. It's called the Memorial Walk, and if you haven't been there, we invite you to attend or to walk our Memorial Walk. It was built largely due to the funds and efforts of Corey Davenport, our local leading politician here in Johns Creek. And we have monuments to every theater of war, starting from World War One, World Two, Korea, Vietnam, Desert War, Gulf War, Afghanistan. And additionally, we have monuments to women in service, as you mentioned earlier, Dave, that we also honored last year on Women in Service Day. And we also have a flag for Purple Heart recipients. And that was a great ceremony we had last spring. And upcoming, we have a, um, it's September 18th, a Friday, is the POW MIA Remembrance Day annually. And we commemorated last year with a, a color guard. This year it's ballooned, thanks to efforts of Rick White, into a large gathering, which will be held on Saturday, because these P- 
people, guests, special guests that Rick has lined up are unavailable on the day of Remembrance Day, Friday, September 18th. So we're going to celebrate this at the Newtown Park Amphitheater on September 19th, starting at 4 p.m. at the Monument for POW MIAs. And then we're going to proceed to our amphitheater. And this procession is, I mean, I don't take the word, use the word awesome lightly. Rick White has lined up a procession from the Monuments, 200 yards later to the amphitheater, consisting of our color guard, followed by the Marine Service League, who is going to do a 21-gun salute at the wreath lane, followed by um, POW MIA, not KIAs, but POW, former POWs, that he's invited up to four of these, Bill Robinson, Wayne Waddell, Kevin Cheney, and last but not least, our speaker at John Street Veterans Association two months ago, Lee Alice. And so there will be at least four POWs in that procession. And then our veterans, our members of VA, followed by the community who chooses to attend. And once we're at the amphitheater at 4.30, Saturday, September 19th, we'll have our POWs speak to us. And we'll also have the head of the POW MIA National Legal Families, Joanne Walters, talk to us. So it'll be a nice uh, occasion if you want to celebrate just being with veterans or to commemorate those lost POWs, KIAs. And at the latest count, we still have Joanne Shirley and their DPAA and National League of POW Families. We have 1,586 soldiers in Vietnam, Southeast Asia right now that we are yet to find. They've recovered over 1,056, which is a good percentage considering 50 years have passed, 50 years or more. So they're still at it. They're still digging, and they're still working with the Vietnamese government, despite it being communist, and they're working with many parties through the U.N. to try to recover the remains of the loved ones. It's a great ceremony. So we invite you to attend Newtown Park Ceremony, Saturday, September 19th, at the Wall of the Hills, and at our monument, POW MI. It's going to be a good one. It should be. Oh, I invite you, Dave. I hope you hope you'll be there, David. I'm planning on it. Since you live in Johns Creek, we expect to see you there. <laughs> Rick White, Rick White will be disappointed if you're not. Well, I tell you, the other thing that uh, folks should do, and and we mention this frequently, is that you see somebody in uniform. I don't care what kind of uniform it is, first responders, whatever. Let go of the mouse. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> pardon uh-huh. me. No. Uh, whatever the case might be, if you see a first responder or anybody else in uniform, thank them. Yes. And if it's in a situation that's comfortable, uh, buy them a dinner, buy them a meal, buy them a drink, whatever the case might be. But they work for you, and they're not working for themselves. However, I must say, as I've been all three at one time or the other, the reward you get you get by helping somebody else is incredible. And uh, we had a doctor who was in the other day doing one of our shows, and we were talking about the fact that obviously it had a lot more than I ever have, but just uh, you get the person, you get your patient to the hospital, and you see in their eyes they're saying thank you. And uh, that's the same way with the military. And uh, we're all brothers, and we've all seen and done and those served in Nam or served in uh, the Middle East uh, they know it better than we do um, so say thank you that's the least you can do yeah. uh, okay. 
anyway, um, we're going to be winding up here before long, and uh, I really do. <laughs> I'm having a contest with my IT guy over who's controlling the mouse, <laughs> and uh, I want to control the mouse, <laughs> as a matter of fact. But, uh, Bill, I want to thank you, and uh, as in many cases, will you come back and uh, be our guest again and uh, talk more about... Uh, about uh, what you did and uh, what uh, JC's Veterans Association is doing, and um, you know we had uh, we were talking about this the other day. Uh, we are losing a tremendous oh. number of oh, yeah. World War II veterans, and, and now Korea, we're yep. beginning to Korean lose War. Uh, Korean War, yep. and now we're losing uh, oh yeah many many of the yeah. Vietnam veterans yeah. and. Uh, uh, you know, this is uh, something that we uh, have to learn to deal. And uh, you know, excuse me, a Oops. Let go of the mouse. Well, I wanted never mind. I just. I had to get back into it. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, we have to keep supporting our veterans, and we have to encourage our young folks to look at the military as their career and what they can do. Um, yep. You know, it's um, it's a it's a great organization. All branches are great, and. The other thing, and, and we, we only have, well, it's time to go, as a matter of fact, uh, or just about time to go. Uh, one quick question. Um, I'm sure you feel this. Meet some of the nicest people, and they become lifelong friends. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. you meet in the military. And, uh, I mean, I, the first, guy, first friend I had in the military, Ray Hill, I met in basic cadet training in 1968. Um, I still look at Ray as a friend. He, now he's teaching at Emory University, and Ray and I go back to 1969. Wow! And in addition to my cousins and my best man brother, who tell their stories carefully. Well, we want to uh, thank everybody that has tuned in. We want to thank everybody that uh, supports America's Web Radio and our veterans, and uh, ask that. Uh, you always be with us, and thank you for joining us, Bill. Thank you for it's coming. It's to be on your show, Dave. And uh, this will be uh, we'll be uh, archiving this, and it will be up very shortly, uh, probably at the end of the day. Uh, you'll be able to listen to it, or at least by tomorrow. So okay. again, thank you, and uh, we got more coming your way, folks. Stay tuned. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.